Good day, dear listeners, and welcome to another episode of Free the Bishops. I'm Carmelite Quotes, your host, and I'm joined today by the ever-wonderful Rosary Mom. Hi, Mom. How are you doing in Scotland today? Hi, Carmelite. I'm doing really well and so blessed and grateful to be here today and ready for another important discussion. That's right. You know, we've got um, a letter that we're going to be talking about today, listeners. It is an open letter from the Underground Association of Nicaraguan Religious Men and Women. They, for short, we'll call them RENEC, R-E-N-E-C. And their letter was dated on February 1. Now, this open letter, which was published in the independent Nicaraguan media, sheds light on the situation in Nicaragua, but it specifically addresses the banishment of bishops Rolando Alvarez and Isidoro Mora, along with the 17 priests and seminarians who were removed from prison with them and sent to Rome on January 14. But before we delve into the letter, Mom, let's talk about a term that Renick uses in its letter because it uses a specific Roman term and a Latin term to talk about the penal system in Nicaragua, the jail where all of these people were held. And the word is ergastulum. Can you tell us what an ergastulum is? Sure, Carmelite. Well, an ergastulum was an ancient Roman term used to describe a slave prison or workhouse. Um, it's very interesting because it was a place where slaves were confined very often in harsh conditions and forced to work. But in the context of this letter, using ergastulum is used to describe the regime's dungeons, which suggests the connection between oppression deprivation of freedom and the harsh treatment of those that are imprisoned. I think that's a good way to describe it. I was looking for images of an ergastulum and you know you can find a lot of things on Google when you check and <laughs> it looked like it was um, somebody's wine cellar but uh, not necessarily a wine cellar. It was really fascinating. Why don't we paraphrase key parts of this letter for the listeners? Um, it begins by saying, here we stand, young and not so young, striving to embody the teachings of the gospel of Jesus Christ within the communities of resistance that are scattered across Nicaragua. And they call themselves emerging from the catacombs, the people of God emerging from the catacombs remains vibrant and grows stronger with each passing day. I think that's a really strong way to start out this letter, Mom, because they're talking about people on a pilgrimage. They're talking about the clandestine nature of their activities as men and women religious uh, in the catacombs. And when you look at an image of an ergastulum, a, a photo of these ergastulas uh, that existed in, in Rome in the Roman times, 
you know, it, it really was a place of oppression, it's similar to a place where you would hide out in a catacomb. But what's interesting is that the letter talks about the people of God in the catacombs are remaining vibrant and they're growing stronger. So as we've often heard that the church where there is oppression and persecution grows stronger, I think that's what's happening here, don't you? It would seem like that for sure, Carmelite. Why don't we continue with a discussion of the letter? Yeah, okay. So the second part of the letter from Rainick, and the concise letter we aim to convey our stance on two recent developments, the expulsion of Bishop Rolando Alvarez and Isidoro Mora, accompanied by 17 priests and seminarians, and the culmination of the inaugural segment of the Synodal Journey, envisaged by Pope Francis for the Universal Church. Our voices resonate to assert with unwavering emphasis that exile does not equate to freedom. While we share in the relief felt by the people of God upon the release of our brethren from the dungeons of the regime Ergastulum, that's that word again, we contend that their circumstances are entwined with those of compatriots who have become victims of crimes against humanity. So Carmelite, in the first part of the letter, it mentions the expulsions um, of Bishop Rolando Alvarez and Isidoro Mora, along with the, the priests and the seminarians. And it mentions about freedom, because of course, they're not free, they are in exile. And it's an important distinction to make because to be free, they would be able to be in their home country where they grew up, where their family is, where their friends are, where their flock is, where they've administered for many years, but they have been expelled. They've been exiled. So now they're in a new country. Don't some of them don't speak the language in the country that they're in, for example, in Italy and Rome, different food, different people, you know, even so much, you know, a different place of living. So it's very much not freedom. It's very, very much the opposite. They are still suffering and persecuted, but now they are in exile. And if we look at the some of the priests and bishops that are already in exile, we have Bishop Baez Carmelite. He's in exile. Um, would you say that he was free? Or do you think that he thinks he's free, should I say? Well, I think that that's a very, very good question because um, today we were looking at the press conference from five years ago, uh, almost five years ago when Bishop Baez was uh, called to Rome by Pope Francis. And looking at what he had to say, the pain that was on his face, the pain in his voice, the tears in his eyes. Um, I don't think that there's any sense that he's free. Number one, uh, even though he's uh, in a 
quiet seminary in Florida teaching, uh, he is no longer a Nicaraguan citizen. He's a Spanish citizen now. He lost his citizenship when Ortega stripped it from him. And thank God, the government of Spain said, you can be a Spanish citizen. That's not a problem. In fact, his hometown on his birth certificate, birth certificate, excuse me, his uh, hometown on the citizenship papers lists that Avila is his hometown. Did you know that? No, I didn't, Carmelite. Yeah. And, and, and so it's, it's a painful, painful situation. I think he's making the most of it. We can see that from his presence on Twitter, uh, X, excuse me, but he continues to preach from whatever platform he has. He's preaching now today on uh, social media, but the whole sense is that no, he's not free because he can't go back to Nicaragua, at least not anytime soon. So I think that really speaks to the whole issue of freedom, don't you? Yeah, definitely, Carmel. I, I mean, the, the reference that their relief felt by the people of God upon the release from the dungeons, their gastulum, of course, people are relieved that they are no longer there, but they aren't free. And we must, it's very, very important to emphasize that the exile is not freedom. And we also have people in Nicaragua, laity, who are still missing. They've been kidnapped. They are in jail, political prisoners. We still have many lay Catholics that are being persecuted and are imprisoned. And all of this, you know, when you look at Pope Francis, has visions for, um, you know, the, the segment of the synodal journey envisioned for the church, the universal church. It doesn't seem to work together because the vision seems to be a bit broken in Nicaragua with the silence of it and, and the fear of perhaps preaching that vision um, it doesn't seem to be put into action with the repression there, Carmelite. Um, I, th I think you're right there. The uh, concern that I have is that there needs to be a sense of hope restored. Hope for the recovery of those who've been banished. Um, and I think that's something that this letter points out. Uh, it continues, we strive to encapsulate the sentiments of the people of God journeying through Nicaraguan soil. We hope that the optimism sparked by the liberation of the 19 swiftly transforms into their full recovery. But moreover, and this is, I think, the really important part um, that they mention is that they are anticipating that the voices of Bishop Alvarez, of Bishop Mora, of the priests, I'm thinking especially the priests from the Managua Archdiocese who were sent to Rome with the bishops, um, 
that they continue to persist to be a source of courage and resilience and inspiration for the persecuted church in Nicaragua. Their voices need to be heard. My concern is that they're going to be silenced. You know that I shared with you and a few other friends uh, a quote from Bergoglio's list, the book by Nello Scavo that I just purchased, where Nello Scavo talks about a conspiracy of silence. And I think that this is a concern that merits attention because if these priests and bishops who are in exile right now in Rome have to remain silent for the good of the persecuted church in Nicaragua, I think the concern is that there's going to be a lessening of hope because a positive message coming from outside the country, from leaders who they revere, who they admire, who they esteem. I think if those voices are missing because they've been obliged to maintain silence in a kind of conspiracy of silence, as Nello Scavo calls it, I think that it's going to be weighing on those in the country. And you and I have talked about this, Mom, where those who are advocates and allies for a free religious expression in Nicaragua, we allies have to be the ones to speak up. We are the voices who have to be heard. Because if you and I don't speak up, who will? Who will speak up for the church in Nicaragua? I know, listeners, we hope that you're going to be speaking up. We hope that you share this information. But someone has to advocate. Somebody has to speak up. Someone has to be an ally. And I'm willing to do that. I know you're willing to do that, Mom. But... Um, the voices of courage, the voices of resilience, of inspiration for the beleaguered church in Nicaragua, they need to be heard. I, th there's no doubt about it. Um, anyway, I'll get off my soapbox and, and I'll let you tell us about the next part of the letter. Thanks, Carmelite. So the next part of the letter is a little bit meatier where um, it references the first part of synod of synodality proposed by Pope Francis. Turning our attention to the initial phase of the synod of synodality, we cannot help but lament the silence emanating from the Nicaraguan ecclesiastical hierarchy regarding the outcomes of this inaugural session. As directed by Pope Francis, the synod advocates for a structural transformation within the church emphasising a greater involvement of women in ecclesial decisions and decentralising decision-making to grassroots communities in every neighbourhood and, vill and village and region. Now, my question on that is, there seems to be a lot of silence to do with the Synod. 
And how is that being portrayed to the people of Nicaragua? How will they know if their clergy don't speak to them about it, about structural transformation in the church? And how will the regime adopt that approach when already we see them dictating to the church certain things that they can and can't do, asking for priests to check in, etc. So how would Pope Francis's view on the synodal church and, and the, the new structures and transformations work in Nicaragua, where it would seem that the regime are dictating more than the universal church? So I have a concern about that, Carmelite. What, what do you think? I think that it is a valid concern because certainly with the banishment of independent Catholic media, I think um, Radio Maria in Managua still is operating, but uh, so many, so many independent Nicaraguan media they're gone, they're out of the country. And you and I followed the news of all of the many Catholic media outlets, especially from Matagalpa Diocese that have been shut down. We've talked with Dennis Alanese from Pantasma and uh, his work that he's now having to do from the United States. You know, it, it's not right because certainly the propaganda machine for the Ortega Murillo dictatorship is not talking about the Synod on synodality, are they? No, for sure. And um, the explanation of the proposals from the Synod, including structural changes, greater inclusion of women and decentralized decision makings, um, I am not too sure how that would work in Nicaragua. It mentions um, women in ecclesial decisions, decentralizing decision-making to the grassroots community. Um, women and the laity in general are called upon to participate in collective decision as a church, aspiring to be disciple and missionary. And my concern, again, similarly to the last one is that will be extremely difficult in Nicaragua when there seems to be a silence around um, the discussions around the Synod. And of course, the regime will be listening to it because they're stationed in and outside of mass. Um, and if they don't like what they hear, um, they'll just omit it. But another interesting fact um, from the letter was the connection between the vision of the Synod and the aspirations of the majority in Nicaragua for equality and a transformation of society. Now, that part, Carmelite, to me is very interesting for equality and transformation. So at the moment, what we're seeing in Nicaragua is certainly not equality. We can see it's a very poor country. We know there's poor people living in trash, trash dumps and you know, various parts of the world. We know that um, a transformation in society, well, it is happening, but it's under a dictatorship. So it's not for the good of the Nicaraguans. 
uh, for the regime, who of course control the government, the police, the um, companies, they control everything. So a transformation um, from a church's directive, I just don't see how that could happen in Nicaragua, Carmelie. I don't see how they can transform the church unless the regime agreed to all the changings, because it seems to me like they're dictating to the church at the moment. I could be wrong, but that's what it seems to be like. I think you're right there. You know, I was just um, looking among the image files for Carmelite quotes that I have uh, in my archives. And I just was reminded of a quote from Bishop Baez, and I'm going to share it. I don't know that you've ever seen it. Um, he said in 2018, and he said it again and again in the years that have followed, I dream of a Nicaragua in which there are neither people oppressed nor pharaohs who oppress them. With respect for the rights and dignity of all, where we put off special interests to share our goods and concerns in peace and justice, and where dissent from power is not a crime. This is obviously something that goes straight to the heart of what this letter is talking about, that to dream of a new Nicaragua where there is no repression, where there can be sharing in peace and dignity, and where there can be a sense of freedom. I know that that is something that Bishop Baez has expressed over and over again as being important for the destiny of Nicaragua, but especially it's important for the people themselves. That old phraseology, the, the, the axiom or the saying of Nicaragua is only the people can save the people. And I think that this concept of synodality for the church in Nicaragua plays right into that. I think it does. You know, those words from Bishop Baez, do you see them resounding right now in the church in Nicaragua? Yeah, I, <clears throat> very strong words from Bishop Baez. Um, and that is the hope and dream the, the people will save Nicaragua um, through prayer and constant courage, Carmelite. They need so much courage. Absolutely. You know, as we go on with this letter and take a look at how it continues, it talks about the assassinations, the forced disappearances, and it talks about exile. The fact that during these years of crisis, there's been a loss in the population between 10 and 15% due to all those reasons. And when you look at the year 2024 as they are beginning and looking for ways to draw strength and courage from the Nicaraguan communities, uh, communities of faith, parishes, uh, even those who are perhaps unbeknownst to you and me, Rosary Mum, 
operating underground, you know, these communities need to persist in resistance. And it's the power of the gospel that's going to enable to them enable them to do that because they need abiding power. They need Jesus's power. They need the power of the gospel in order to endure and hang on in the midst of this oppression. And they need affirmations of solidarity and assurance as they stand as consecrated men and women, walking with the people of God, accompanying the people of God, they not only need our affirmation, but they are giving out their affirmation. And so I think it's uh, really a powerful message for them to say, hey, we've lost 10 to 15% of our population, but we are still here and we're still drawing strength and courage from one another. At least that's what I get from it. What do you think? Yeah, for sure. And and they've had, you know, Bishop Alvarez, as we know, and Bishop Baez and many others, they were fierce preachers of the entire gospel. So they have witnessed that. They have had strong, strong bishops and clergy in Nicaragua who were fearless. And they will remember that. And I think that's why they feel a little bit disappointed that they can't hear from, you know, the, the priests and bishops and seminarians who are in exile because they're relieved that they're free, they're in exile and they're safe, but they want to hear from them, they want to see them because that, they're part of their family, you know, that that's their shepherd. So that's right. I, I do believe that they are so strong and courageous in their faith that the gospel will most definitely be their lifeline, Carmelite. It has to be. If the gospel isn't the lifeline of these people who are so profoundly persecuted, uh, there's no lifeline at all. How does the uh, letter end up? So the letter um, closes with words of encouragement. I'll read it to you. In the spirit of the risen Christ, the liberator of peoples, we convey our proximity and prayers. Rest assured, as consecrated men and women, that we stand beside you as the people of God on pilgrimage in Nicaragua. And this hour, a message to you is one of courage. So that was encouragement to say that they're standing in prayer, which of course is really powerful. And I'm sure that's most welcome. And a message of courage. That is also um, very, very important, as we mentioned before, to have courage, because not only do they need to listen and read the gospel, they need to put it into practice in a country so horrendously oppressed and what seems to be against the Catholic Church because they want to dictate. So for them to live the gospel entirely, it will take them a tremendous amount of courage, which means a tremendous amount of prayer and support from the international community through prayer or whatever means we can do to advocate for them and pray for them. I think that's really important. Well, why don't we pray for them right now? Would you lead us in prayer? 
Of course, Carmelite. Let us pray for the persecuted church in Nicaragua. We lift up all the bishops, priests and seminarians in exile, asking for complete healing, physically, emotionally, spiritually. May their voices, together with other exiles, continue to be a beacon of courage, resistance and encouragement for those suffering in Nicaragua. We also pray for the conversion of hearts of Daniel Ortega, Ortega and Rosario Murillo, that they may be touched by the light of religious freedom. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in the day of battle. Be our safeguard against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who wander the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Mom. You pray so beautifully, and I wish I wish I could pray as beautifully as you do. To our listeners, we invite you to pray too. Keep joining us every day in prayer for the persecuted church in Nicaragua and for the conversion of the hearts of those in leadership. Right, Mom? Yeah, for sure, Carmelite. Pray. Pray for the conversion of hearts. But before we say goodbye, let me remind our listeners to subscribe to the podcast. Please share the episode and advocate for Nicaragua, even by sharing the episode is helping us to lift their voice in prayer. Your support really does make a difference. Absolutely, it does. And share this episode with your pastors, with your bishop, uh, because every voice matters every voice makes a difference so don't forget to check us out on your favorite podcast platforms we're almost everywhere and keep advocating keep praying keep the faith and let's reach out for the church in nicaragua that's the bottom line isn't it mom indeed carmelite And thank you all listeners for joining us today. Let's continue to stand in solidarity with our brothers and sisters in Nicaragua. God bless everybody. God bless. Mm